happy Juneteenth. Juneteenth, maybe you have heard of it. It's only been a few years since I have learned about it. So it's a holiday that celebrates the end of slavery in the United States. It marks the date, June 19, 1865, when the last African-American slaves held in Confederate states were freed. It had been more than two and a half years since President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And those folks had continued being enslaved for all that time. It would be remembered and celebrated afterwards as Juneteenth. For some of us, the reason we know about it now is because it's a federal holiday. So maybe you have Monday off. Juneteenth has also been described as a truer Independence Day, a more inclusive day than the 4th of July. So my formative years were spent in Richmond, Virginia, former capital of the Confederacy, a place with monuments to the Confederate War leaders and many Confederate flags. So while I was doing research, I came across this photo and discovered it was a parade for Juneteenth in Richmond. Wow, look at all those people. I'm pretty sure this photo or any like it were not in any of my history books. It was said we don't celebrate Juneteenth because some folks do not want to celebrate the end of something they don't want to acknowledge existed in the first place. But in acknowledging Juneteenth, we are recognizing a period of our history that shaped us and continues to influence us today. So while we may have shared history, we do not have a shared experience. Juneteenth originated in Galveston, Texas. That is where the notice was served. So when I was talking to someone from Texas, who looks like me, I asked her about her experience of Juneteenth. This person lived in Waco. She told me that gatherings, parades, and parties took place along the Brazos River, which was in East Waco. Waco was deeply segregated, and East Waco was where the black community lived. Her parents purposely drove the family around town so they could watch. They explained it was Freedom Day. Freedom meant no longer being a slave. As a child, she had no idea what they meant. What she saw looked like a fun family reunion. We all bring our own perspective to the history of America and Juneteenth. As a white woman, I am learning from my two African-American daughters what it is like to be black in America. They have experienced racism at a very young age. I can't imagine being on the playground at three years old and having someone come up to me and say, I can't play with you because you're brown. We had moved to Arlington and I anticipated things would be different, but they were not. Instances like these remind me I have no idea what it is like to be black in America. A bit of Methodist history from Will Williman in his book, Who Lynched Willie Earl? So our United Methodist Church was born in America that practiced slavery. John Wesley detested slavery. The first Methodists were not allowed to participate in the slave trade. Among the slaves 
Wesleyan Christianity grew by leaps and bounds, and maybe because of our witness against slavery. But then came the day that a man was elected bishop who received slaves through his marriage. When some Methodists demanded he give up those slaves, the Methodist Church split into the Methodist North and the Methodist South. In those actions, the betrayal of our core identity, our church decided that for us to be socially significant in America, slavery ought to be a personal option. Once we made slavery an individual decision, swallowing all sorts of sin was easy. After the Civil War, when white Methodists discriminated against black Methodists in the North and in the South, most black Methodists either withdrew or were forced out. They, were, they creatively and courageously formed a wide array of predominantly African-American Methodist denominations. So I went to an African-American seminary in Richmond to get my Master of Divinity degree. And that was a gift for me. But I got to experience the black church every weekend for three years. My classmates remembered the history of their people and what they had been through, hearing their stories, many of which were very different from mine. Every Saturday in chapel, they would say, thank you God for a new day. The music we sang reflected their story and the story of their descendants. They had an appreciation of how the faith of their ancestors had carried them through some incredibly difficult times. So today in our scripture lesson, we hear of a man naked in the graveyard, possessed by 6,000 demons. The scripture said the man had chains. Jesus cast the demons into the pigs on the hillside, and they jumped to their death. The man was restored. Once the man is healed, the herdsmen went into the city to share what had happened. They had just watched their livelihood drown. Jesus had done it again. He had associated with someone the people had easily ignored. Jesus got up close and asked the man, what is your name? Jesus had crossed the tracks to minister to someone everyone else had passed by. I can hear them. You would not believe what Jesus has done now. And then everyone came to see for themselves. So once they witnessed the changed life, once they saw what happened to the pigs, what did they do? The scripture says everyone gathered from the region and asked Jesus to leave. Thanks for coming, Jesus. I believe your boat is parked over, right over here. Why'd they do that? Well, Jesus upset the apple cart for sure. He disturbed the status quo. What they experienced made them uncomfortable and afraid. Scripture said they escorted Jesus out of town because they were scared. That's a bit like us, right? We like the pastoral Jesus, the one who looks for the lost sheep or the prodigal son, the one that has the children sit at his knee or loves us unconditionally. We prefer the Jesus that does not disrupt our lives or the Jesus that doesn't require too much of us. 
But dismantling racism is hard work. Emancipation is hard work. I mean, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And especially as a church, we don't want to offend anyone. It can make us want to pull back and let someone else do the work. But that is not how change happens. For some of us who have denied that racism exists, we have now seen videos and heard stories that make it difficult to ignore. Our scripture lesson ends with the man clothed and asking Jesus if he could go with him. Jesus says, no, you can't go with me. I want you to go home and tell everyone what God has done for you. So once the man was made free, he wants to go with Jesus. Can you blame him? But Jesus said, go home. And we don't know about his home situation, but we can imagine how he received, was received as he walked through town. There's the crazy man from the cemetery. He was free, but not free. Here at Mount Olivet, we have a racial equity team. They are working to understand systematic racism in Arlington. They also want to be part of the solution, working with folks in the community. There is work to be done, not just by the team, but by all of us. The good news is we don't have to do it alone. Jesus has promised that he will give us the Holy Spirit to teach us the lessons we are unable to learn on our own and remind us of the truth we are inclined to forget. Our current sermon series is Living the Spirit Life. What does that look like for you? Don't underestimate what God can do to us and through us. Amen.